send in the clowns. Those daffy, laffy clowns. Send in those soulful and doleful schmoats by the bowlful clowns. Send in the clowns. <laughs> yeah, let's have a quick hug. Oh, uh, oh hug. Such hugs. We need hugs, not the Joker. <laughs> All right. Um, all right. Welcome to the Wage of Cinema, everyone. Um, it's been a little while since the two of us, uh, Corey and I, have reviewed uh, a movie for you, but oh, we, there are no lack of thoughts about this new movie. <laughs> so I'm going to move my laptop a little bit here, aside some of your stuff, so we're recording good. Okay. Um. All right, so welcome to Wage Cinema. I'm Jack. I'm Wifely Duties Corey. You did some duties today. Boy, did I. All right, so the movie, of course, that we're talking about is the new Joker movie. Uh, simply called Joker. Um, as you can see, I'm not a lot happier. I'm giving the game away, aren't I? We we all know what they, they all know what we thought of this movie. This movie's bad. <laughs> Corey, tell them how you really feel. This movie's very bad. <laughs> Do you know what? I can't even laugh anymore on our car ride home. <laughs> I was laughing at some things. I can't even hear the sound of my own laughter without thinking of Joaquin Phoenix laughing. Uh, now, I, Yeah, th this movie... Um, if anyone thought the trailer was good like I did, because I liked the trailer, and I thought the trailer made it look like a good movie. Just watch the trailer. Corey, you, you, you're telling me that trailers lie? <laughs> Sometimes a trailer can be cut to deceive an audience and to <laughs> ring out every little moment that looks like it will have some meaning and purpose? In retrospect, I can't even believe the trailer got two and a half deceptively edited minutes of quality out of this picture. Well, no, it's because you had no idea that the story that was going to fill it would be so empty and mean, yet packed chock-a-block full of its own meaning. Um, all right, but just to give you a little bit of background about this, so this is, uh, this isn't even really part of the, what's called DCEU. Like, it's not... I don't think it's connected to any of the other recent movies. So, obviously, I mean, you haven't seen Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. Um, you haven't seen, uh, you know, uh, Man of Steel. But you don't have to. Like, this movie isn't connected with those, to, I guess, to my understanding. Um, maybe, but... Uh, so in this movie, it's we're we're kind of taking a trip back in time to a Gotham that oddly looks a bit like Newark. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of joking because I, I work in Newark, and I saw last year when they were uh, they they did they 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 changed up uh, uh, Market Street, I think it is, and uh, added all sorts of billboards and things to make it up, you know, to to look very uh, 80sy. Um, didn't have to change too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we saw them filming together one day, too. We actually yeah. saw them filming. Yeah, we saw them filming when we were going to a Devil's Game. And, uh, yeah, and I wonder if Roz Baraka ever sees this movie, he'll be like, oh, is this what my city looks like? I had no <laughs> idea. Uh, but anyway, so the movie, uh, gives us this guy named Arthur Fleck. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix, of course, uh, plays this guy who's, um... You know, having mental issues, and the movie lets you know that immediately, both in, well, not in both in, it's just very obvious ways, and the movie even directly tells us, because he has, you know, one of the scene with a social worker, um, and the movie is, you may have heard that it's a mashup of Taxi Driver and King of Comedy, and that is exactly it. And it's bad, because it doesn't understand what made those movies work. 
as well as they did. Um, and basically in the movie, yeah, you're watching this guy, Arthur Fleck, uh, kind of spiral downward and he already starts pretty down. He works as a clown for kids and hospitals and birthdays and he gets fired because uh, somebody else in his job gave him a gun and he brings it with him when he's entertaining kids. Um, he gets beat up and, uh, and there's something like that. And then he gets beat up again, but then he kills a few people and then... I sound like I'm, I'm... I don't know how else to describe he the plot. He under the boot of life. I know. He's in a glass cage of human emotion. And he has this condition. It's like a type of Tourette's where he laughs loudly and inappropriately and he can't help it. Yeah, I've heard that this is actually a real thing. Like, it is something that some people do suffer from. Now, I, I don't know how large a thing this was uh if if it you know probably still happens um he yeah he suffers from that he also has like he's also extremely skinny he's he's almost like he's literally like a skeleton figure yeah and which which is used to a certain effect in the movie yeah, that I... involves you know you, we get the point immediately because there's a point where they show Joaquin Phoenix without his shirt on and he's bent over and we're there's a shot that's just looking at his back and he's very kind of concentration camp looking, um, you know that starved rib cage is jutting out completely, and yet this is all just for him to. Show off what a lanky dancer he is. God, there is so much <laughs> inappropriate dancing in this movie. And yeah, there's there's a moment where he like he starts dancing in this bathroom uh after like a major event happens. And that was actually it's about a third of the way in the movie, and that is where I realized, oh, Oh, oh! They think they have something here with this. They they think that this is deep. That he's doing this dance, and it's like meaning something about the great anxiety and, uh, but also his thrill in violence. I guess was that it's, the idea that he's like reveling in his own mayhem. But it's so. I get it. I want to tell Todd Phillips, I get it. Joaquin Phoenix is skinny and bendy. I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's basically the, the thing. He's, he's very flexible and very thin. That's not enough to make a movie dramatically satisfying. <laughs> and Let's get an origin story of some, like, more obscure Batman villain who has, like, who has the power to be all bendy and twisty. Yeah, so there's just so much bizarre dancing in this movie. Yeah. Which I think exists just to show off Joaquin Phoenix's emaciated physique. And it's funny how like the the very same people who trash talk this is going to be a weird thing to jump to, but there are a lot of people who really don't like Spider-Man 3. And a lot of people point to that scene uh, as one, for one example, where Peter Parker starts dancing in the street, those very same people will look at him dancing and be like, "Oh my god, oh, this is so amazing! He's, you know, he's representing the inner, you know, turmoil and yet inner thrill of, you know, killing and like, no, no, no." But yeah, this movie is <sighs> it, it's it's. You nailed it, though, when we left the movie. A lot of it is actually kind of boring. Yeah. A lot of this movie is really dull. I actually did something I almost never do. I looked at my cell phone multiple times to check the time during this movie. Don't worry, we weren't sitting near anyone, so I didn't... Yeah, and I kept my phone in my bag, Yeah, so. and occasionally we would whisper a comment to each other, but it was so low that I don't think uh, But no, would have I would it. say 70% of this movie is boring, and it's monotonous, and dull, and derivative, and the other 30% isn't boring, 
But it's such hack work. Yeah, this yeah. This is the work of a hack. Yeah, well, it's it's the work of someone who... See, I feel like Todd Phillips thought he probably was making a big statement with this movie. Statement in all capital letters, you know, flying on a blimp. You know, that <laughs> kind of big, giant message about, I guess, that we need to, like, make sure that, our like, the mentally ill are taken care of because otherwise they'll become homicidal maniacs. I guess, I don't know, like, the message is just, it, it's taking a look at, it's, like, I think that in his mind he thinks, I'm holding up a mirror to the ugliness of the world for us to see, but it's just, there's a way you can do that, and it's actually, and maybe it could be kind of interesting, but you need to have contrasts in your movie. Exactly. You need to have other characters that are normal and who actually are you about know, it's someone that the uh, that a character who's disturbed as someone like Arthur Fleck can bounce off of no one is like that in this movie the only character who comes close to that is, uh, is the Zazie Beats character who this is a minor spoiler, isn't even with him in the scenes. That's the big twist later on. Like, oh my god, she's never been with him. Um, I, I, I just, but what I was thinking was, though, was a couple of things. The Master, the, the Joaquin Phoenix movie uh, that he did, you know, seven years ago, Paul Thomas Anderson. In that movie, his character is also very fucked up and you know does a lot of running and you know kind of you know be, being very wild and out of control um but a the movie i think does a it really does seriously try to probe why he's screwed up and b you have characters like philip seymour hoffman and amy adams who he can bounce off of and they're you know, and it exist in the world that they're in makes sense for this. Um, in this case, everyone around Arthur is a complete asshole or kind of pathetic, like his mother, and they and because of that, it, there's nothing for him to really play off of except his misery. This movie's incredibly monotonous. Yeah, Everything every about- scene is the same over and over again. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. So this movie is very monotonous. It's very one note. Every every single scene in the movie looks exactly the same. Every single mo- every scene in the movie every single scene in the movie has the same lighting, the same color palette. There's an incredibly oppressive, incredibly monotonous score that sledgehammers you in almost every scene. It feels like you are walking in an endless funeral dirge, but even funeral dirge music is more interesting than this. Every single character is basically the same personality. Yes. So, God, I said to you when we walked out of this movie, I would title this movie, I Get It. Yes, I I get it. (laughs) You are an oppressed white male living in this world. So, my problem is, the vision that Todd Phillips has is something that's so shallow, you can communicate it in a trailer, but he has absolutely nothing to say beyond a two and a half minute Uh, supercut. What's amazing with him, by the way, I haven't seen this movie, but the movie made before this was uh, War Dogs. Yeah. Do you remember seeing any previews or trailers for that? Not really. Well, if you ever see any of the previews, the impression you get from that is, oh, this kind of looks like a Scorsese knockoff. And by that, I mean his, you know, more crazier, like, um, explorations into crime. Uh, You know, the criminal underworld. Only in this case, it involves, I guess, weapons or selling arms or something like that. I, I believe that was was 
so now he's doing it again. He's just aping Scorsese, but the problem is, I mean, people like to try to look at King of Comedy and Taxi Driver in the same way that De Niro's playing Travis Bickle and Rupert Pupkin, and they're these loner, weirdo outsiders who can't connect with people and all this. But they are different characters, though. Yeah. And they are different stories. And if actually the King of Comedy was his reaction in a way to Taxi Driver. You know, it was it I don't think King of Comedy would have existed without Taxi Driver. Literally, cuz it was in I, I I believe in some part kind of like his reaction to the whole John Hinckley being obsessed with Jodie Foster thing from Taxi Driver. And I mean, you can try to combine Travis Bickle and Rupert Pupkin, but it's like it's like combining steak and ice cream. <laughs> I mean, you can do it, but it's not going to taste very good. And that's the thing. It's like this movie wants to have this very, you know, we're gritty. We're, we're down in the dirt. We're in the muck. People are mean and miserable, and everyone's had it with, you know, the man. You know, Thomas Wayne needs to go down. And meanwhile, you also have... I want to be a comic, and I'm going to become a big uh, comic star. And, you know, I'm looking up to this guy on TV, played by De Niro, who's supposed to kind of be the, you know, Jerry Lewis figure. But it just doesn't work, combining them. And he also just doesn't understand that in those movies, there was real humor. Yeah. This movie is joyless and humorless. And when it tries to go for humor once in a while, I mean, I heard people in our theater laughing, but I just, I, I was so oppressed by that and I just didn't connect with it. Yeah, I, this movie is like a bad copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And it's so relentlessly grim that, oh, well, you isn't, know. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but. Isn't there a term called grimdark? Yeah. Would you say this movie is, like, grimdark? Yes. And the problem is, it takes itself so seriously that it just, it fails the realism test, so it doesn't feel like a realistic or authentic character portrait. No. But it's also not entertaining. Like, it's not, I don't need, I don't need this movie to be realistic. It didn't have to be realistic for me to like it, but it's not entertaining as a spectacle because it's so drab and monotonous and blah, but it's also not satisfying as a character study because the character feels totally inauthentic and yeah. no character trumps through life as sad sack as Arthur Fleck. A man who's not had one good day in his mm. entire life. See, I don't know. I think there probably are a lot of sad sacks out there, but they don't make giant major studio movies about them. Like, I I was telling us in the car really briefly that there there was another movie that made me think of this, and, and not in a good way. Mm. Um, the first film made by Gaspar Noe. I don't uh. know if I'm saying it right. No, Noe. You know, irreversible. Um, enter the void, into the void. All those movies. Um, his first movie was this thing called "I Stand Alone," uh -huh. which was also a movie where it just follows a guy who's a walking time bomb and is completely miserable. And um, and that movie was bad for different reasons than this was. Well, but it was similar in that the main character was just such a sad sack loser. And it, there was nothing else there to the movie. And this movie's almost like a wannabe <laughs> of that movie. Like, it, Todd Phillips, he also, I think in his head he thinks, I'm saying something about, you know, I'm, if I say these things, they mean something. We we don't have money to help you anymore, Arthur. Our social, uh, you know, our, um... Uh, he goes to a social worker, and that shuts yeah. down. So like, that's supposed to be like, we don't take care of our mentally ill. Look what happens! <laughs> and 
you know, we we elect we try we elect people like Thomas Wayne who are unpopular for reasons. He doesn't actually get elected in the movie though. No, no, no. And we'll get to that. That's actually a spoiler. Although it's not in a way. Yeah. But but these things like I how about if you're going to have this whole subplot or or not even subplot but this whole element of Thomas Wayne is running for mayor and he's looked at in a bad light and people are you know actually having protests in the street and uh and of course they have on clown makeup because I for some reason but they don't really address what Thomas Wayne like why Thomas Wayne is looked down on yeah. they don't really address underlying issues in this movie they just expect you to say to think oh they said this that means it's important. Important thing happened. Yeah. Do you know, I have a weird, weird, weird comparison to make with this movie okay. to another movie. Sure. All right. Now, this movie I'm comparing it to, I like that movie better than Joker. I was thinking a little bit of that movie Precious based on the novel Push by Sapphire. Huh! I can... I think I can kind of see that. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think okay. I get what you because mean. Because we saw that movie, and I haven't seen it since it came out in the movie theater, what, mm -hmm. a decade ago? And I thought that movie had high-powered acting, but that movie also had the problem where it was just too much, and it almost lapsed into self-parody. Because the lead character, she's a teenager... She's incredibly poor. She's abused by her mother. Her father rapes her. She her bait her incest baby has Down syndrome. She has AIDS. And at some point, it just becomes silly and ridiculous that this much is heaped on one person. And it's like it's tragic enough that she's poor and say being abused mm -hmm. by her mother. But no, her father's a rapist. Her rape baby has Down syndrome. She gets impregnated with another rape baby. She has AIDS. Yes, everybody she's got AIDS and shit. Yeah, she's... I think she's poorly educated and like illiterate or something. She's very fat. And I'm just watching it and I'm like, Oh my god, you are ladling it on so thick. Yeah, and, and also the other thing too... Um, fantasy sequences. That's yeah. you remember that in the movie. Yeah. That's something else uh, that Precious has these very big, like inner inner uh, fantasies that are visualized by Lee Daniels, and it's very that also is. I remember being quite over the top, and that that happens in this movie. Like yeah. at one point, Arthur Fleck imagines himself is in the audience of um. Of the show uh, that De Niro's doing. His character is Murray... Oh, something. I'm forgetting the last name now. But uh, that's... because And so that happens. And that that's a running thing in the movie. And you know what, though? That's so overdone. Yeah. This movie is... I would say that I... I can, the one thing I'll say... I'll say two things about it. I don't think I've seen a... I don't think I've seen a comic book movie that was this depressing. I, I, <laughs> that's saying it. So in that sense, it is almost, I want to give it a point for that, but then not. And I'd also say that Phoenix is certainly acting his ass off. Literally. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you should be a comic. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you have to be funny? Yeah, so, oh yeah, that's a line that the uh, the mother has to uh, her kid. That's uh, the one joke in the movie. Yeah, that is kind of like a decent joke. Like, the mother's, because he tells her, like, I want to be a snap comic. And he's like, but don't you have to be funny? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's actually true. <laughs> that I wonder if that line was a studio note. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is... You know, he's obviously a very good actor. He's probably one of our most actors. <laughs> <laughs> he, whenever you see him, he's most acting his ass off. I mean, and, you know, sometimes that can be interesting when a director takes him in a, in a slightly different direction. Like, 
you know, in the, you see something like her, and Spike Jones took Joaquin Phoenix's intensity and toned it down a bit. This, though, is just, it feels like, even though as much as I admired his performance, A, the material wasn't doing him any favors, and B, as I mentioned with the Master, he's done better work at this type of character. Yeah. The Master is a really good comparison. The Master is... What if what if a similar character was in a good movie? <laughs> well, no, but also you gave him better justification than just I'm crazy, you know. It, and you know, look, I I actually saw uh, before. Actually, it was right after we got out of the movie um, when we were. I was at I was in the bathroom or something, and I I saw a few remarks that Michael Moore apparently saw the movie and loved it and he was he he used it basically as a thing like the movie as a springboard to talk about why we don't take care of our mentally ill and how we let people go and like cause school sh- you know go and do school shootings and this movie shows that and i don't know if this movie has it ha- it might have that on its mind but it's not communicating it well enough to make it seem like it's making an impact Yeah, there's the message of this movie, or what this movie has to say, could fit on an index card with room to spare. Yeah, in big lettering. Yeah, in the big lettering that Joaquin Phoenix writes in. Yeah, and also I think another problem, and this might sound like a, this might sound like I'm being nerdy, but I don't think I am. I I just don't know if you can have a good. You can't have a Joker in the mo- in a movie be good without Batman. That's a good point, that you need someone for him to play off of. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if my steak and ice cream comparison works there, but you need, yeah, you need, so- so- you need to have him play off of that type of stoic, you know, I'm not going to take your shit type of character. And, you know, and... But the, the, so in this case, all you're getting is nasty, brutal, you know, self-absorbed, poor me type of characterization. There's no arc in this movie. Exactly. And if you aren't going to have an arc, I'm not saying there are movies where a character doesn't have an arc. But even in like, I feel like even in Taxi Driver. It's su- it's subtle, but I feel like Travis has a little bit of an arc in that movie. I mean, for you sure. have to kind of look for it, but he, in his, you know, by the end of that movie, he does something that is kind of violent and terrible. But it's looked at as wow, look at this heroic thing he did. He killed these pimps, even though originally he was going to kill a politician. <laughs> um, but that was made more interesting because of everyone around him. Like I said, in that movie you had, like, you had Sybil Shepard, you had Jodie Foster, you had Harvey Keitel, you have these really dynamic characters. And in this movie, I also, I don't think the supporting cast was all that dynamic. Like, they, they were good actors. I mean, Francis Conroy is a good actor, not given much to do here. Zazie Beetz, I feel like, once again... Obviously, much more egregiously than on Atlanta is having to put up with a shitty man. <laughs> if you think about it, it's almost like the same character just popped in this movie. Um, Mark Marin pops up for a scene. Brian Tyree Henry pops up for a scene. Did you notice that? Yeah. And I felt like he was kind of wasted. So. Oh no! Am, am I making sense with some of my comparisons with that? That like, there's no arc. Yeah, I definitely think that's right, and I think the problem is, I think the reason why the supporting characters are so well supporting and so uninteresting is to emphasize his isolation. Yeah. To emphasize that he mm-hmm. really is a man alone. Yes. But. Hmm. It doesn't work because I don't think this, as I said, this doesn't play as a realistic character study of one man either. No, ultimately it's still from a comic book. And 
even more so than Christopher Nolan, which we both talked about this when we were leaving the movie too. I I want to write an apology letter, Christopher Nolan, for every bad thing I said about The Dark Knight. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said your movie was flawed. Now I see what can really happen. Yes. Like, you know, like, it... it was it was actually it was certainly way more interesting when I didn't know the Joker's origin, <laughs> you know, or when I had to guess, you know, the way that like instead of going to see his movie, just stay home and read the Killing Joke. Read the don't see the movie. The, the Killing Joke movie's not very good, but read the comic if you need a good Joker origin story, where you actually because that's that, you remember that book well at all. Not really. Because no. in that story, he's also a stand-up comic. Um, or trying to be, and not very good. But, boy, did Alan Moore understand that you can, you need to have that contrast, and you can't just have, you know, loner man living in world. <laughs> this movie should be called Loner Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and one last thing, too. Like... Something else that you like, I know like, that I like in other m- things with the Joker. I know I bring up, I could bring up Caesar Romero, and I know that's not. <laughs> I know you you all be like that's not serious, but you know, good guy loves Caesar Romero as a Joker. But you know, Jack Nicholson is the Joker. Mark Hamill's the Joker. Even to an extent, Heath Ledger's a Joker. They actually were off, like quite funny. Yeah, they actually like were, you know. As dangerous as the as the Joker is when the, those characters play him, he's funny. Yeah, and I think him actually being funny is important to the character. Or if not funny, at least some type of charisma. Because the Heath Ledger Joker yeah. isn't very, like, laugh-out-loud funny. But the Heath Ledger Joker has real charisma. Yes. You can understand why people buy into his crap, even if he does that terrible cliché thing of killing his henchmen. Yes, yeah, he does that. Well, Nicholson Joker does that too. Yeah, but I feel like the Joker is a very three-dimensional character at his best. The Joker in this movie has one and a half dimensions. <laughs> See, I was, I was not, I know you said you didn't like this movie from the get-go. I wasn't saying I was liking it that much at the beginning, but I was trying to give it a, ch- a shot. I was, you know, trying to follow it in, you know, when he's having this job, when he's, you know, following him in his early stages, even though he's a sad sack. Okay, let's see, like, you know, what, what he's about. But then once it gets to him you know, killing the three guys on the subway and then doing that dance, then it, I just realized, oh, yeah, this movie just lost me. <laughs> this movie thinks it is grand opera or something, and it is so not. I And I would have been fine with a movie with a silly, pulpy tone. This is not pulp. This is grime, and it's different. But it's self-important grime. This is the kind of movie which, um, like, at one point, uh, again, these protests at this theater or this big benefit for all these rich fucks, and, you know, Thomas Wayne is there, and what movie are they showing? Charlie Chaplin, Modern Times. Uh... Oh, fuck you, movie, for, like, bringing Charlie Chaplin into this. Uh, that really pissed me off. That was, like, I... See, we are putting Charlie Chaplin into the movie because he was a clown who appealed to the masses. And, you know, and now you have all these rich people who are laughing at Charlie Chaplin. And don't you get it? Don't you get it? Isn't it deep? Modern times about someone trying to work and survive. The man is laughing. Huh? Don't you get it? Get it? This movie is so lazy. Yes, that too. It's lazy. It trades on the work of other people. It's a blatant, blatant Scorsese ripoff trying to 
leech off of the work he did. It's also a movie, as I said, the score Yes. And it's sledgehammery. Yeah. But every time the movie plays a regular song, not yeah. an instrumental score, it expects the music to do all the work of setting the scene. Oh, oh or yeah. it expects the films that it's homaging to do work. Yeah, like there's even there's even a point where um Arthur's gonna somehow get to go on to uh De Niro's show and he does the thing from King of Comedy, you know, talking to himself and trying out, uh, you know, talking to an audience and all that. And guess what? We've seen that already. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, there will be some people who maybe haven't seen Taxi Driver King of Comedy or are 12 <laughs> and they think this is really deep. And, you know, it's, you know, it's, I was thinking about this though. If I were 12 or 13 or 14, I might have found this maybe to be kind of meaningful or really like a cinematic achievement of some kind. But I'm not. Yeah, you're too old. I'm, I'm getting, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> just give me like, you know what? I just came back from going to Comic Con for a day and there were all these like people dressed up as Thor after the snap and when he's really large and bearded and basically the dude. I want more of that in my life. I want more joyous fat Thor. <laughs> I don't need the, I don't need this, man. I'm so, I'm so sick of the Joker, man. Like it wasn't there a line in the movie at some point where someone said like, nobody finds uh laughter anymore or nobody finds comedy anymore. Or things yes. funny anymore. Yes. And I was thinking to myself after someone said that line, oh, well, as long as it makes money. <laughs> I just, that's, oh, this is an aside. This has not, I don't know if this is doing anything to the movie, but that just made me think of my uh, bar mitzvah video. <laughs> and when I, after I performed my ser service and, you know, the rabbi came up and I was like, wow. And the rabbi was like, Wow. And I, I was such a smart ass. I was like, oh, is that all you think? And and then he layers, was talking to the audience and had me up there and he's like, There'll always be a place for you here. And I said, As long as you <laughs> as long as you make money. <laughs> like Okay, so granted, I was a smart ass, but I grew up. This movie is like me on that bar mitzvah stage, only worse. <laughs> Yes, I think this movie is very juvenile. I yeah, think... yeah, it's juvenile. It's immature. Immature is the perfect word for it, because in terms of commentary, it doesn't go any deeper than, fuck the system. Yeah, but it, but again, it doesn't give you reasons why. I Now, I'm curious, do you think that that's because Todd Phillips just doesn't have the thought process to really work through why... People would be angry, i.e. that, you know, these people are, you know, angry at capitalism and power structures, or that the studio said you can't, you can have all this grimdark stuff, but you can't really get political. Well, I think we're supposed to believe they're disgruntled because of the shabby condition of the city. Mm -hmm. Like, the movie opens with saying there's a garbage strike, yeah. and there are super rats prowling the city. <laughs> So, it's super rats, like, okay, uh, is there a rat king too? <laughs> so I think we're supposed to believe the anger comes from the general horrible condition of Gotham, yeah. and the budget problems, the garbage strike, the super rats, but it's not specific, and because any time the movie has a message, it's so non-specific mm -hmm. to the point of being basically meaningless. Yeah, and, and again, maybe part of that is because, you know, it, you're working off of source material that is meant to be kind of basic, but you're also, but you can't do, have it both ways. You can't try to act like there's some statement about, uh, you know, poverty and destitution and urban decay and lack of funds for mental health and all that 
while also, you know what I mean, like trying to do both ways. Does this movie have anything to say about the condition of Gotham besides it sucks to be poor? It sucks to live in a city that's overrun with garbage? Yeah. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And yet, uh, can we get into some a few spoilers yeah. here? All right. So here's a, a little bit of spoiler talk. <laughs> Hello, kitties. Meet the Joker. <laughs> Corny, aren't I? Oh, there must be bats in your belfry, Batman. Oh, dear me. The court jester must run. Just in time. <laughs> Oh, what an inspired stroke of mine. When Arthur is on the show at the end, I thought that mo that monologue was actually what made me hate the movie. Oh, the monologue was awful. Yeah, like, I was already kind of like, eh, I don't really like this movie. It really did drop the ball on doing something more interesting with Joker. Uh, let's see what happens, though, when he goes on to this uh, show at the end. And it is the worst version of what could have happened with that scene. Yeah. Where he just, you know, he, he outs himself as the guy who killed the three men on the train. And, uh, and the, you know, and it becomes very confrontational between him and De Niro. And yeah, he goes on this whole spiel about, like, people don't care about the mentally ill. People aren't taking care of them. You all are, I don't know, he says a lot of crap. And it's just, I feel like if I want to read this stuff, I have Twitter and I have Reddit. <laughs> I can look on there and look that stuff up. Oh, but the best thing, though, is so after he, again, spoiler, kills De Niro live on the air, um, he's arrested, but then there's rioting happening in the streets because I guess everyone happens to be also watching the show, and somehow everyone is rioting because reasons. But the best thing is that at this very night, <laughs> when all of these protesters and all of these rioters are causing mayhem, who happens to be going to the movies to see Zorro? Thomas and Martha Wayne and their little kid Bruce. <laughs> And, oh my god, it appears that one of the clowns on the street follows them darn down a dark alley. <laughs> Dead parents! Do <laughs> Darkness! <laughs> Dead parents! <laughs> That's from Lego Batman, if you don't remember. Uh, they did it again! <laughs> they did it again! We can't have a movie without Batman's parents dying! God! God! So bad. Oh, man. And and that's also, that's part of what's boring about the movie, too. They try to get in this whole subplot involving Arthur's mother and how she worked with the Waynes, but, you know, maybe did Thomas Wayne knock her up and uh, is he, like, the half-brother of Bruce? And, <laughs> And you know what sucks in a way? When the movie was doing that, I was like, well, that's really weird. But, oh, but I bet they're not going to really go with that. Yeah. And, of course, it's revealed, no, she was just crazy. And Arthur's adopted. He's a nobody. Um, it's, actually, it's funny if you think about it that Arthur is almost like Rey from Star Wars. <laughs> Come from nothing. But... But it would have been funny to me to see what the internet's reaction would have been if they had kept that and not changed it, if he was actually Bruce Wayne's half-brother. <laughs> and then they would have to explain why Thomas and Martha Wayne had Bruce Wayne when they were in their 60s. Yeah, that's the other thing. They already look like they're our parents' age, and yet they have, like, this kid. And, you know, this is the early, this is in the 80s. So this is before, I think, you had all that, like, artificial insemination stuff. And, yeah, that, that part was odd. Like, why not just have an actor who's younger who plays Thomas Wayne? 
The other thing, well, it's because Joaquin Phoenix is like in his forties, so yeah, I know. So you wanted to have that what if of if Thomas Wayne yeah. is actually his dad, so for the which is if. solved in the next scene. <laughs> so for the what if to be plausible, Thomas Wayne has to be old if he, given Joaquin Phoenix's age. God, you know when I think about it, I have now seen that alley scene. Let me count this: Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, technically Batman Forever, but that I'll, I'll I won't count that. Batman Begins, Super Batman v Superman. They show it, and now they show it in this. This is the fourth <laughs> time in my life I've seen Batman's parents die. No more dead parents. Hashtag No dead parents. You know what? This this is minor. In the grand scheme of how bad this movie is. No, 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 please, get into some uh, small things. Why, in the two scenes that we see him, is Bruce Wayne such a blank little fuck? I mean... You know what, though? What? That was actually one of the only scenes in the movie that didn't annoy me that much when, like, Arthur goes up to the the gate at Wayne Manor and kind of has, like, this silent clown interaction with him. I, I kind of enjoyed that scene up until when Thomas Wayne shows up. I was fine with the scene until Arthur literally puts his hands on Bruce Wayne's face to twist his face into a smile, and the kid does not react at all. No, no, yeah, no, that that was odd. Like, because you'd think that's before Bruce Wayne's parents are killed. Why is Bruce Wayne already an automaton? Yeah. I mean, if you were a little kid and some stranger reached through the security gate at your home, placed his hands on the side of your face, and pulled your lips up, do you think you would react to that totally placidly? No. No, I'd call for my mom or something. I'd I'd freak out. Uh, Yeah, who's this weird guy who just appears... And puts on a red nose. And then starts groping my face. <laughs> and he has no reaction. He's just totally... No, no, I know that is a small scene. Like and what's like I said, I was actually kind of interested in that scene because, for one thing, no characters were talking or saying lame expository dialogue. Yeah. And it was just like this nice little interaction. You're seeing Arthur almost not being... I mean, he's being a weirdo, but he's almost kind of charming for a couple of minutes. Yeah. But then, yeah, it's broken once he does that smile. And Todd Phillips, I guess, doesn't really give a shit about Bruce Wayne. So he just (laughs) lets him go. And of course, when Bruce Wayne's parents are dead, he just stands there over their bodies and has no emotions. He doesn't run, he doesn't hide, he doesn't cry, he doesn't cower. Yeah, so as if, like, the one last finger in your eye in this movie is that we're supposed to we're supposed to see that the same night that Bruce's parents died was also the night that Joker ascended to his, like, first major point. Can I, can I go through another nitpick of this movie? Please, that's please. Not, okay, yeah. so... You said this movie was set in the 80s. I thought it was set in the 70s. Or early 80s. I thought it was set in the 70s. I think it was supposed to be early 80s, turn of the... Okay. But back when the 80s... The early 80s was still kind of the 70s. How unrealistic was it? How ridiculous was it that somebody was filming Arthur Fleck's amateur comedy night and then got the video to Robert De Niro. Yeah. That's not yeah. how any of this works. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a big part of the that that is a major plot point that we didn't mention that um for for half the first half of the movie we kind of see him working in notebooks and writing, you know, crazy shit and uh and then finally he's had open mic night and uh you know, it kind of screws up cuz he just has his laughing fit. And then tries to tell a bad joke. Um, which, by the way, I think that Phillips, we, we're talking about how he's lazy. I think that a, a more courageous filmmaker would have kept that scene going longer. Yeah. Like, Scorsese, I think, would have kept us there. You know, like, the way that in King of Comedy, 
what's so uncomfortable is how long we're there with Rupert Pupkin when he's in these moments where he's being so wrong. But in that scene, it's like he does, he has his little laughing fit and tells a bad joke. And then music comes up, which transitions out of that scene. Yeah, so it doesn't make you squirm. It's not, like, cringe. Yeah, this movie, like, I wasn't really cringing at what he was doing. If I was cringing, it was because the movie wasn't working. (laughs) And, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. That Yeah, why would, like, why would someone be taping the, the amateur comedy night? At that club, wherever it was. Yeah, so we're led to believe this is a city with widespread poverty. And in the early 80s, or late 70s, early 80s at the latest, somebody is taking a videotape and filming a random open mic at a little club. And then somehow they get this video Mm. To Robert De Niro, a celebrity. You know what it is? This movie is... This would be something that would happen today. Exactly. This is what would be happening if there was YouTube. But there wasn't YouTube back then. Yeah. Oh, oh, this. you want to talk about nitpicks? This is really small. I feel like... You're probably going to say this is really nitpicking. Him having an answering machine... If he was really in poverty, how would he have the money for an answering machine? Well, also, they showed at one point he had a VCR and several videotapes. Did Tom Phillips not know how videos worked in the early 80s? They were rare. It cost $100. Well, when you say videos, oh, you mean actual, like, movies on tape. Well, he had, had, like, videos that he recorded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, but you're right, that he would... The fact that he seems to be making, like, barely poverty wage, working as this clown, and, you know, the mother isn't working, there, you know, it's, yeah, that, that part is odd, absolutely. But, yeah, this whole, somebody randomly films the open mic and gets a copy of the VHS to this celebrity? No, it's totally bogus. That's something that would happen now with the internet and cell phones. Well, it's, uh, but it's again, it's, it's, they want to get that effect of the King of Comedy, but not do the work that that movie did, where Rupert Pupkin got on TV because he kidnaps <laughs> the host. In this case, it's almost meant to be like, uh, one of those movie things. You know, where a character happens to luck upon, like, that type of scenario. And, and yeah, like, yeah, why would you just also, you would put him on TV without, like, having a real conversation with him? Like, you just show this video and then realize, and then say, oh, let's just have him on. No. No. Like, does this show not have producers? (laughs) Is Mark Maron just like, yeah, okay, we'll we'll let him on. It's fine. And you mentioned about the answering machine. I also noticed in one scene near the end of the movie where Joaquin Phoenix is literally just like twisting around on the couch to show us his ribcage. Right behind him, there's a clean, white, new looking air conditioner. Oh, uh, I, I, I didn't. I didn't notice that. And again, well, they had. Well, they had to keep the crew cold. <laughs> <laughs> and. The movie is so over the top with how dirty and grimy everything is and how poor everyone is. And I'm like, Mm. oh, but they got this nice white Uh, air conditioner that looks like our air conditioner. Yeah. I mean, I know pointing out the air conditioner and answering machine is almost a little cinema sinsy. But no, you're right, though. The fact that, you know, my, my, my mother's talked to me about how when she... She and my father first got an air conditioner because she was pregnant with my older brother. And like but if it wasn't for that, they wouldn't have gotten it. And this was in the early 80s. I You're mean, right. Yeah, that like is he he's buying a new air conditioner on like the social security or disability he's getting? I didn't own an air conditioner until the mid 90s and I was not poor. <laughs> No, that's probably the problem. That doesn't reflect well on your parents, actually. I mean, I was... 
I was country, but I was right. not poor. I know we're we're getting off topic. But this here, movie but... sucks, and this is the kind. Yeah, of... this is the kind of thing that we. The thing is, if the movie was really good, you might not have noticed those things. Well, yeah, if and I, if I wouldn't have either. But there came a point where I was just watching the movie sit there, like a, you know, like a tumor. Like yes. A, you know, like this thing that's just this lump that should be cut from your flesh. You know? Maybe if I wasn't so incredibly bored by this movie, I wouldn't have had time to think, like, it's a pretty nice air conditioner you have, poor man. Yeah. I, I will say, I, I'll point out a thing I kind of thought was amusing. I did like the part where he's, when he's having one of his... Uh, me, you know, fits, and he empties out his fridge and just goes inside the fridge. Yeah, although, once, you can't open a fridge from the inside. He would have died in there. Yeah, wait. Yeah, wait, wait, yeah, because doesn't he get himself out? Yeah, which you can't do that. Which is why... When oh, God, even the thing I like in the movie is stupid. Which is why, as I'm sure you know, when you... When you dispose of a refrigerator, that's why you have to take the door off. Mm. Because right, right, yeah. it's a safety measure. Because, yeah, in case, in case, like, an animal gets Yeah, it. or theoretically, if, like, a small child crawled inside a refrigerator or an animal, there's no way to open a refrigerator from the inside. Yeah, and a, so, and a fridge back in those days wouldn't have had that. So, once he put himself in the fridge, he would have been dead. This movie? That should have been the ending of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that could have been like you end on the headline man dies in fridge. <laughs> Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull had a more logical use of a refrigerator <laughs> than Joker. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie sucks. I don't know what else to tell you. Like yeah, like, and again, I'm not going to say that he's, like, the worst Joker in terms of acting, because that's still Jared Leto, but this is probably one of the worst quote-unquote comic book movies I've I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, this is just bad. This is, like, really poor and shitty and lazy and dull and just lifeless. I, I, I come back to that word joyless, but... I'm sorry. I want if I'm gonna have a Joker in a movie, I want it. I want there to be a little like joie de vivre. Yeah, I think you're right. We might be at the point where we're just getting diminishing returns with this character, and it's time to move on. We need a. I know it's not gonna happen, and obviously Warner Brothers, if you're listening to me, please please take this into account. They're not, it's not gonna happen because this movie will make money. You need to put the Joker away for, like, 20 years. Just do not have the Joker anymore in popular media. We have been Jokered out. We had a break from the Joker, actually, for a long time in film. I mean, not counting Mark Hamill Joker, but, like, between Nicholson and Ledger was almost 20 years. Since then, we've had Joker in the Suicide Squad. We've had... Uh, probably there was another Joker in there somewhere. We've had Gotham. Just stop. Like, let the character sit for a while so the audience doesn't have to keep on, like, we want more Joker, we want more Joker. Uh, but, you know, it's not going to happen. I just, I want a Joker who's bright, almost bright and sunny. I want a Joker again that has, like... You know, the I want a Joker who paints over his mustache. <laughs> I actually, you know, one thing I wish this movie did more of. What? And before this movie came out, there was some very, in my opinion, exhausting and obnoxious discourse around the movie. Yes. And there was this kind of moral panic around this movie and about the potentially bad message of this movie. Um, even though this movie is a piece of crap and I hated it, I also think the hand-wringing over the bad message of this movie was also total crap. Because I almost wish this movie had been more, quote-unquote, 
offensive and showed us more of finding the joy in killing people. Yeah, well, it, well, here's a little here. Here's something that's kind of weird to me. Just thinking about this in terms of you know movies, do they make people go violent? And obviously, I I think it's kind of nonsense. And yet, it's it's interesting that Warner Brothers is again putting out this movie. And you know they're they're backing up Todd Phillips, which fine he should do what he you know he wants to do, but the Dark Knight you know that was such a huge movie, and then what happens you know the the, the first night of the Dark Knight Rises, and you have that guy who went to the movie theater in Aurora and shot up people with hair like the Joker, or he was wasn't he kind of had no. that like get up no. That was that was like one of those Columbine myths where it was in the initial reporting of the shooting. Oh. But no, it's not true. It had nothing to do with the movie. It's just... He just went in because it was a, a he, place with yeah, a lot of people. He knew it was going to okay. be a big hit and it was going to be a full movie theater. Okay. But no, I understand the confusion because that was in the initial reporting. Of, but no, it was not true. Yeah, but it... it I, I don't know. Yeah, so my, my point, I guess, doesn't hold up there, but... That said, if if you're if if someone watches this movie as if it's a po- as if it would be an influence for them, quote unquote, to go do stuff, I don't think that I don't, I don't see how that would happen. Like you know, I, I, even though I also don't think that the people who said "oh, natural born killers" made such and such people go out and kill people, like at least I can kind of get the idea behind that because that is a very disturbing movie in a lot of ways. And it's, and the, the, the way it's presented is very disturbing. This is just. Eh. Yeah. Based on the BS hand wringing about this movie, I thought the movie was going to have more Joker gaining pleasure from murder, but that's not a big component of the movie at all. No, actually. no, it's no, really not. Not really. Even towards the end, I mean, he does kill a couple more people, and you know, he kills his mother. But yeah, it's all it's meant to. We're supposed to, I think, see him as the victim, right? Yeah, and I do think this movie wants you to have sympathy for him, and doesn't want you to have sympathy for his the people he kills. So, on the one hand, I guess you could say the movie wants you to sympathize with the murderer and not the victim, but there's not nearly as much let's vicariously live through the joy of murder that I thought yeah, there was going to be. But it, but again, it doesn't work either way. Like, it doesn't work as a one-hour photo situation, as another comparison, where <laughs> it's actually a fascinating look at someone who's downward spiraling and is very alone and all that. But, but yeah, they also take out the, the joy the Joker gets in, you know, killing people. I mean, I want, like, I can't have a scene where he buzzers someone to death. I must say, though, when, I know you didn't like this scene, but near the end of the movie, where they show the Joker dancing in his, like, bright suit to... What's that song? Like, Rock and Roll Part 2? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I actually liked that, like, 20 seconds of the movie. And I was like, you know, this could have... If this actually led to something, I would have liked it. It's like the lead-up to a kill. Hmm. But but it doesn't lead up to something. No, though. what happens? It's is... it's there as a shallow moment of oh, isn't this cool? He's dancing on the the steps. I, and I think yeah, if that had been in another movie, or if maybe that had been in the context of something else, I would have I would have enjoyed that more. But I the context around it wasn't good. No, and he's that's the one time when the stupid dancing was actually kind of justified. In plot, and it's broken up because the cops see him and he has to run. Yeah, and that was that was kind of dumb too. So, I know this is going to sound weird, but see, if this movie had had more, let's enjoy watching the main character kill people, maybe it would have been less boring. <laughs> I know, and I look. I know that we're not. We're never. I know we're probably never going to see. You know the Joker dancing to Prince and 
fucking up paintings like he did in Tim Burton's Batman. I know that now we're probably moviegoers are like, oh, that's cheesy. We don't like that. But you know what? I like that shit. I like having a Joker who is kind of enjoying the chaos he's bringing. And in this, it's, it's not, he's not enjoying his chaos. He's, you know, he, he's mentally, you know, he's just, it has, for those of you West Side Story fans, he's disturbed. <laughs> he's disturbed. He's disturbed. He's so, so disturbed. It's, <laughs> it's the Officer Krupke song of comic <laughs> movies. So, this movie is a grim slog of suck. Yeah, to wrap things up, don't don't go see this movie. Just stay home and read The Killing Joke, or, or reread it, or watch, you know, watch Batman, either the 66 or 89 one. You know, watch something with some joy. We live in such a fractured, terrible world, and this movie is out, and... You know, it, it doesn't bring me any joy. I could just stay and look at my Twitter and get the <laughs> same effect this movie is trying to give me. Uh, and I'm I'm sorry, Christopher Nolan, for criticizing The Dark Knight. It's obviously way better now in comparison to this. Yeah. <sighs> so. Let's go listen to Purple Lamborghini. <laughs> Let's go watch. Yeah, uh, there's a music video with Rick Ross that features Jared Leto's Joker. It's called Purple Lamborghini. Rose! <laughs> yes, I miss Purple Lamborghini. I miss, I miss the Joker being a pimp. <laughs> All right, and if you guys have any thoughts about Joker, and I'm sure no one has thoughts on this movie. <laughs> You can send it to wagesofcinema at gmail.com. Uh, please no death threats. Thank you. Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I know I always say this at the end of these, but when we come back, hopefully we have a better movie for you. Hopefully. Uh, so uh, thanks for listening, guys and and gals and everyone. Uh, I'm Jack. I'm Corey. Oh, before we end, Joaquin Phoenix literally says to Thomas Wayne at one point, I wanted a hug from you. <laughs> the ways of cinema are Thomas Wayne hugs. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good night. In my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed. But I do. starting to notice. You think this is funny? <laughs> is this a joke to you? <laughs>